Hey friends, it's Mark James and today is Monday the 19th of December 2022. Currently I am sitting outside of Booth's supermarket in Preston. It is opposite the hospital, more on that in a second. Booth's, in case you don't know, is a bit like, well British people will know M&S and Waitrose, but they're kind of like... Um, slightly more upmarket supermarkets and the entrance area it's a bit like uh, Ralph's if you're American it's a bit like Ralph's or a bit like Whole Foods but not as good <laughs> but somewhere between those two on a smaller not as good scale and for English people or British people I should say um, it's like Waitrose and M&S and for people who are from the northwest of England well it's Booths because everyone in the northwest knows Booths it's kind of just local to here I think it stretches over to Yorkshire a little bit but that's where I'm sitting the reason I'm sitting here is that you get two hours free parking and it's opposite the hospital now, whenever Sarah and I attend the hospital, if you are being treated for any form of cancer, you get free parking in the Rosemere Centre, which is the cancer specialist bit. You get free parking there. But we only have to go there when Sarah's picking up a medication. And that happens once per month. And prior to her picking up a medication, a minimum, sorry, a maximum of two days previous, Sarah has to have a blood test, always blood tests, every month, a blood test and then two days later she gets a medication for that following month and the blood test is just to examine what effect the medication is having and if it's affecting you in any negative way and if it is then they'll potentially alter or change the dose uh, maybe restrict what medication you have or you know who knows but at the moment touch wood and there is no wood to touch so touch plastic uh, or whatever this faux leather in my car is um at the moment all is going really well. Headaches, side effects, nausea, they are basically all at zero. Sarah occasionally gets a little bit of sickness before bed, a bit of nausea when she takes the tablets. But aside from that, she said she feels very, very good, which is positive. Obviously, she had a scan before and the scan came out really well. Uh, there was nothing to detect, so that's brilliant. And the next scan now isn't until the end of February. So it's kind of broken down. The year is strange. When you're having immunotherapy for follow-up cancer treatment, it's a blood test every month. It's go pick up your new medication every month, have a scan the first month, then the second month, and then not again for three months, then not again for two months, then not, you know, and it's kind of, it, it goes like that. So at the moment, we are on the up. Things are very positive in that direction. And so... While she's in there, I thought I'd get a bit of podcasting done because today's a really, really busy day. Um, I've got to do that. Then I'm taking Sarah to work and I have to get a haircut. Then I was taking Joshua to the dentist this morning, but he's got a cold. So the dentist is cancelled. And instead, I'm just taking him to his granddad's and Sarah's sister and brother's because that's where he's staying for a few days, because I am going on a cruise tomorrow. I'm going to be in the Canary Islands. Tomorrow I fly to Tenerife, and on Friday I fly back from Lanzarote, Friday night, and then I'll be home Friday night, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, lovely. Then I'm not away until mid-January. But uh, yeah, so I go on a cruise ship tomorrow to do my show, and that means that today is a very busy day. Haircut, take Joshua to his grandparents. I'm going over to see my friend Alex Wells. Now, 
I'm going to, I've asked Alex if he minds, and I'm sure he won't, because he's a lovely man. He's very interesting. I've asked Alex if I can interview him a little bit for today's podcast, because I figured if I'm going to see people who are interesting, what I might start doing is interviewing them a little bit for this podcast and just include it as part of the podcast recording. And Alex is the chap who, remember when I did Curious Mysteries, not last season, but the season before, and I said that another performer was doing the show at the same time as me and was doing my script and the tricks that I'd come up with. Of course, Alex made plenty of his own alterations along the way. I know he stayed fairly true to the programme, but in order to make it work for himself, he'll have made adjustments. And we'll find out about them today, I guess. So I've asked him if I can interview him a little bit about his life and about his performing career and about how he got into magic and all of those things. And we'll have a nice little chat with Alex about that. So that'll be good. Um, I'm going over to see him because as part of that show, I bought two of everything, two of every single prop. And I also bought two Sony cameras, Sony ZV-1 cameras. These are fantastically good cameras for vlogging. They take nice still images as well, but they're excellent for vlogging and they're good for recording shows. And I figured as I'm going on this cruise ship, what I'll do is I'll record the show and I'll record a bit of a vlog. Now... I bought two of those cameras, but in the meantime, I realized I didn't need two anymore when the show finished. So I sold one of them to my friend Elliot, and he used it for virtual shows and stuff. But then I still own one, and that's the one that Alex has still got. And I've been saying to Alex for ages, I'll come and get it, and today felt like the perfect excuse. So I'm going to go and see Alex, and I'm going to pick up that camera, and then I'm going to come home. And then when I get home, I will undoubtedly finish a little bit more podcast and then pack my cases and then go and get Sarah. It's all go, friends. Just so, so, so many things to do today. But that's okay. Driving Joshua to Blackpool and back takes roughly an hour and 15 minutes. And then driving to Halifax will take, well, it takes an hour from home. But from Blackpool, it'll take an hour and 20. So, and then I've got to drive back from Halifax. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to do. But it's going to be good. Fortunately, packing for the show, packing for the cruise is not really a heavy endeavour because the show is essentially packed already. Like my, my showcase is, is ready. It's always ready. It's in the boot of the car. So all I have to do is get that and um, put in the stuff for the second show. Because on a ship, you tend to do two performances. So I'll do my main show, which is Instant Magic, and it's 45 minutes long. I'll do that twice in the same night, once at half past eight, and then again at half past 10 for two different audiences. And then, and sometimes people come in and see it twice if they're crazy. If they really love it, occasionally people will sneak in and see it twice. And then the next day, and it will have to be the next day because I'm only on there for four days, including travel, in fact, I'm only really on the ship for three days, and one of them is the day that I arrive. So I've got two clear days in the middle. So the performances will be close together. Um, yeah, then I do a late show, but the late show is only 30 minutes, but it doesn't happen until like midnight or half 12 or something. I'll be honest and say, I find that aspect of these ships a bit ridiculous. I don't know that anybody wants to come and see a show at half past midnight. And yet, when I've done it in the past, the second show has been absolutely rammed because there's only one sitting and it's all of the people from the first two shows who really, really liked you. So if it's absolutely rammed, you know everybody loved you and the show being um, 
late, it doesn't bother them because they're staying out and having drinks and they'll come anyway. But if you haven't gone well, that show will be dead and that's a bit heartbreaking. That's only ever happened to me once. I didn't have a great time on a ship because the cruise director refused for some reason to say that I was a magician. He plugged me as a comedian and then people came and it was a magic show. And of course, their expectations, if you don't get what you're expecting, even if it's good, it's not it's not what they're expecting and so it didn't do me any favors and then i went back on and i basically refused to go on unless they just fronted up and said i was a magician because i think i'm funny but funny within the construct of also being a magician so uh, they said i was a magician i smashed it and had a good time so now i always say you must say there's no saying that i'm also that i'm a comedian or anything just say magician say funny magician comedy magician i don't really like those terms i'd rather than just said magician but you know that is what it is so um that's what we're preparing for we're preparing preparing to get on the cruise now i've got a whole list of notes this week which is quite rare for me i've not been brilliant at the notes but uh, i've got some i really need the toilet though so i'm going to stop for a second pop in booths and have a poop <laughs> back in a sec hey friends i'm back in the car I've got to say, I rarely feel as accomplished. <laughs> I rarely feel as accomplished as when I've had a poo, I turn around and look and see that it was massive. That is really one of the pleasures in life that they cannot take away from you. When you squeeze one out, it feels good when it's coming out, and then you turn around and look, and the poo is massive, and you wipe your bum, and the toilet paper is clean. That has to be, it's in the top 10 of life experiences. There are a lot of great things that can happen to you, but that's a subtle one that just keeps you ticking over in between the really good stuff. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was good. I've just bought us coffees, Sarah and I. And um, I have to say, I'm not looking forward to them because the woman who made them was very nice. You know, I went in, I said, uh, two lattes, please quiet this morning she said oh we never say the q word don't ever say that because then it gets really busy so i apologized and took it back we had a bit of a laugh then she tapped out the portafilter which is the thing that they twist onto the coffee machine with coffee ground coffee inside then she ground the coffee direct into the portafilter that was automated and that made me feel like this is going to be good because of course somebody surely surely somebody has uh, dialed in their grinder so that the settings are perfect for both the beans that they're using and the coffee machine that they use. So that'll be fine. So the exact right amount of coffee gets ground direct into the portafilter. And the portafilter, by the way, is only the, the, it's the full thing. The bit on the end is the basket where the coffee goes in, but the whole thing with a handle and everything, that's the portafilter. And so, she twists it on after tamping. Now, tamping is one of the most crucial, crucial steps in making espresso. And what you have to do is you take, you'll have seen them with it before, it looks like a sort of stamper, what's called a tamper, so that's not, you know, too far from the imagination. Essentially, it's a little heavy metal disc, which is the exact same diameter as the portafilter basket, so that when you push it down into the portafilter basket, you evenly squash all of the coffee. 
and it has a wooden handle on it typically. And what you have to do is you put your fingers around it and your thumb down the side of it. And then using the side of your index finger and your thumb, you apply even pressure to the coffee so that the coffee is both flat and very importantly, densely packed. When you tamp the coffee, you are sort of compressing the ground coffee into a puck. And when the water is forced through that at high pressure, that's what creates the extraction. But if you don't tamp the coffee down, then the water can pass fairly freely through it. And when the water comes through it too quickly, then it barely has time to remove coffee flavor from the, from the uh, ground coffee. And so what you have is a very weak sort of uh, diluted water, which has general coffee flavor to it. It does not make a good coffee. So tamping with pressure is essential. Here's what she did. She picked up the tamper between her thumb and first finger, but by the end of both, like it was dangling. You know, like when someone rings a bell in a cartoon, you know, when Tom and Jerry, when uh, Jerry rings a bell by the ends of his fingers delicately and Tom runs in and gets splattered by something. <clears throat> well, she picked up the tamper like that and she hovered it above the thing and she gently dropped it on twice for a second, but didn't put any pressure down and uneven the coffee, <clears throat> then lifted it off and put it down and then put the coffee, put the portafilter in the coffee machine. So let's just say I haven't got high hopes. What I'm essentially gonna taste right now is gonna be steamed milk and some very gently uh, brewed coffee. Let's have a taste. As I expected, there is minimal coffee flavor. That's disappointing. But never mind. In those situations, I'm always kind of, I always think, do I say something here? Do I say, you know what, I'm going to, how do you deal with it? Do you say, listen, I know how to make coffee for various reasons and I can tell you that what you're doing is not it so if that's how you're going to make it then I don't want it or do you say oh listen before you finish that um actually I've decided I don't want a coffee I'm gonna have tea instead and be really awkward you, you're gonna look like an arsehole in both situations but neither of them are really your fault I mean, where are the places that you put up with pretty substandard service? I don't expect her to be a genius level barista. I mean, she wasn't nearly hipster enough for that. If she'd have had a beard and a fisherman beanie on, I'd have thought, yeah, this is going well. But where do you, where are the places? Because you're not going to be happy if you get a poor haircut. You're not going to be happy if you get a poor coffee. You're not going to be happy if you get... I mean, what, what places do you put up with bad service and you don't mind? If you get a taxi and the taxi drives very slowly, if you're not in a rush, he's still got you there, but you're not gonna be chucked. Is there anywhere in life where bad service or sort of having a lack of ability when it comes to providing the job where it doesn't matter? Can you think of a place? I can't. I can't really think of anywhere where someone can do their job poorly and you still be happy with the service. I mean, if someone hands me a pre-made sandwich and they don't smile and they just serve me, 
by the time I got back to the car, I don't really care. So I suppose the place where you care about bad service is in places where it continues to affect you when the service is over. So right now I'm going to make it through this coffee because waste not, want not, which I believe was Abraham. Was that Abraham Lincoln? Waste not, want not. Um, I'm going to make it through this. Was it Thomas Jefferson? Who said waste not, want not? But um, I bet it's neither. I bet it won't be either of them. I'm sure it was Abraham Lincoln. But um, it's still affecting me because the coffee continues to be poor. Mm. Never mind. Sarah will like it. Sarah likes her coffee quite weak. She has one shot latte. I like mine quite strong. So she she won't mind it. I bet she gets in in a minute. I'm not sure how long she's going to be. But I bet she gets in and she likes it. Alex has replied saying, yep, no problem. You can interview me, which I knew he would. And Sarah has replied to say that she is not going to be long. So that's good. Okay, let's have a look at the list. Um, Call of Duty is back. Yeah, so Call of Duty is back. Remember, I was obsessed with Call of Duty before, and then I went off it because I loved the old map, and then they made a new one, and it was awful, and now they've made a new map again, and it's called Al-Masri, I think, but it's a lot more fun. It's got good buildings in it. It's fun to play. I like a lot of the areas. Um, the gameplay is quite a lot different, but we've gotten used to it now, and... I really enjoy it. I like the new Call of Duty a lot. I've played fairly obsessively with my friends for probably about a month now, maybe three weeks. And last night we played hours, the night before we played hours. The night before I got home at 1.30 a.m. from a show and we all, four of us, jumped, it's not all, we're one person missing, but you can only get four on maximum. But four of us jumped on and played quads at, at 1.30 until 4.30 and we had a brilliant time. Oh my gosh, I was laughing so much. I woke Sarah up, I was laughing so much downstairs like a maniac. <laughs> mm. I also had my first fall of the winter. Now, when you get a bit older, falling over is not quite like when you were a kid. When you fall over as a little kid, you've generally recovered from it while you're on the way to get back up. While you're halfway back up, you've already over the fact that you fell over. Whereas when you're older, a fall... That can become a week-long event. <laughs> For me, the soreness of the fall certainly lasted a, a few days. I was very aware of my elbow. I mean, does it hurt now? I still can feel a little bit of soreness when I put my elbow against something. But my elbow was very sore um, whenever it touched anything. I couldn't lean it on the windowsill of the car. I basically banged my hip and my elbow. They were the, So you can see that fall now, can't you? I've put it in a dazzling colour. But I had a fall when Joshua and I were walking to school. Now, Joshua fell over as well. Of course, the weather has been treacherous, is a, weather you can use, a word you can use, can't you? Treacherous is a word that only gets used for really, really bad people or pretty bad weather. <laughs> mm. But as we're walking to school, Joshua fell over. And as I've just explained, got straight back up. He's a little bit dramatic, so he did moan a bit, but he soon forgot about it. And then just before school, I fell over. It was one of those falls where there's no way to save yourself. My feet went sideways. 
if your feet go forwards and backwards, there's generally a bit of wobble where you can maybe get your feet back under yourself and maintain balance. But when one of your feet goes across the front of you, you're going down. So I sort of tucked in and managed to lessen the impact a little bit. Obviously, I hit my elbow, but I did fall sideways fairly evenly. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it did hurt for quite a few days afterwards. Um, what else has happened? Oh yeah, it's been very dark in the mornings. I've not been enjoying that. How crazy dark it's been every morning. I mean, you wake up and it really is like nighttime. To this morning, I woke up at quarter to eight and you would think that it was 10 o'clock at night in the winter or midnight. It is pitch black. The street lights are the only thing providing light. Even the moon was behind clouds, so it was very dark. Oh, midweek I lectured down in Cambridge. Now, <laughs> this was a funny one because I drove down and the drive was no, but it rained quite a bit. They've had a lot of rain down there and snow on the middle ground between me and Cambridge, a lot of rain, some hail. We basically have had snow that lasted. It's still there now. I can still see it now because it's never been above zero degrees, which I believe for Americans is 23 Fahrenheit. I might be wrong. 25 Fahrenheit, but um, it's never been above zero degrees. So it's been freezing. So there's been no opportunity for the ice to melt. So snow fell, it turned into ice and it stayed for over a week. And it just got progressively more and more slippy on the paths, which by the way, that is what underfunding looks like. If you are wondering what it looks like to have a government that does not fund local services, well, it looks like main roads being cleared but anything behind a main road being still covered in ice and snow. They just don't have the resources, the machinery, even the quality of grit. I heard that they dialed down the amount of salt in the grit, making it lower quality gritting salt that takes much longer to get rid of the ice. I mean, how bad is that? God, budgets are stretched beyond comprehension. So um, I drove down to Cambridge and the lecture was in a sort of um, a church hall, <clears throat> but at a church and linked to the church, but with no parking around said church. So what you had to do was park on one side of the church, get all of your stuff and walk through the graveyard. Now, bear in mind, it's winter. It's been snowing and Cambridge have had a lot of snow. So there's probably two, three inches of snow covering the graveyard. So you could see the gravestones, but the tops of them were covered in snow and all of the graveyard itself was covered in snow and there were footprints to walk in. <clears throat> so I got all of my stuff and I had, and the way that I get my stuff out of the car is I have two stools that I do my show on. And so I put my arm through both stools so they're kind of hanging on my arms. And then in one arm, I hold my suit. And then in the other arm, I'm holding my showcase. So that arm is very heavy because the stool is basically down on the showcase because it's been held at my side. And then the other arm is propped up holding the stool so that the suit doesn't drag on the floor. So I have those two things. And um, I'm walking through the graveyard with those two things, stepping through snow in the pitch black dark with only the light of the church hall, which is coming from around the corner to see. And then the bells start to chime. And I started to laugh because I felt like I was in a horror movie. If I'd have turned round and there'd have been a nun crossing the graveyard, 
and I got into the sort of church hall and said, um, oh, I just saw a nun. And they said, you saw the nun? And I went, I, well, I saw a nun and they went, oh, that's bad. That's really bad. Tonight, something bad is going to happen. And then I'm driving home on the motorway and all of a sudden I look in the rear view mirror and there's a nun sitting in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> and she grabs me by the neck and I swing the car into the central reservation. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I imagined happening. But I couldn't walk any faster, despite the fact that I was shitting myself because it was snowing and I was carrying props. So I got in and I did the lecture and it was not busy, as, as was expected by everyone, because it's December. It was the last lecture of the year. And despite the fact that the membership had indicated to me that they were looking forward to it, the weather was abysmal. And would I go out on a Wednesday night in the middle of December to see a lecture? Probably not. I'd think, might just stay in and chill. So it wasn't that busy. There was like 12, 13 in, maybe a few more, maybe a few less. It was not great for attendance, but... The lecture itself was very good and the membership asked a lot of questions and that was very good and they were very enthusiastic about my performance and about the material that I selected for them and so that made me feel good too. I had a nice time with them. It just wasn't majorly busy but never mind. So that was Cambridge. We move on again. Oh by the way it was quite funny that um, when I got into the Oh, I've just looked, by the way, on my notes, because I made a note. Minus six we got to one day, and that was 21 Fahrenheit. We actually got down to minus eight as well, which I believe is 19 Fahrenheit. So um, in the church toilet, you know that quite often they say when you wash your hands, you should sing happy birthday twice. If you sing happy birthday twice while washing your hands, that is the correct amount of time to adequately wash your hands. Sarah's about to get back in the car. I bet she likes the coffee. That's my prediction. Here she comes. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. I'm still recording. So oh, you are now. Outside. No, you are now on the podcast. Oh, I don't want to be on the podcast. Too late, you're on. What have you bought? So that ASMR noise that you're making with a bag. What's in the bag? A dress. A dress? Well, have you been to one of the charity shops or something, or a real shop? No, there's a little shop in the hospital. Not that a charity shop isn't a real shop. Oh, there's a clothing shop? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, actually. Yeah, I've got a cute little dress. Oh, good. Look at that. Sarah is now so fashionable that she buys her clothes at the hospital. <laughs> uh, I got you a coffee. What's the odds for the... Thank you. Sarah had to get me £10 now because I forgot my wallet and I need a haircut. There's your coffee. It will have cooled down nicely for you. What do you think of it? Hang on. She's taking a sip. Mm, it's average. Oh, she said it's average. It needs a sugar in it. Well, I've explained already that she... she put a sugar in it. No. I can tell. I won't tell the story. No, she didn't tamp it properly. It's very not good. Um, I knew it was going to be shit. So why would I message you and I said, I'll get a coffee here? You didn't say, yeah, I got a coffee because this one's shit. I haven't read it. I'm recording. No, you shit, aren't you? Jesus Christ, it's brutal. For the friends have ruined my early, my coffee. It's the friend's fault. It's the friend's fault. It's very specifically Dr. Alex's fault. Let's blame it on him. All right, right. Can we crack on? What are we doing driving? I need to get to work, yeah. Well, hang on, I'm just finishing a thought. Oh, God. So, um... I need to get to work. I know you do. Don't worry. So, um, anyway, the, uh, she's not drinking it. She's put it down. She's bailed it off. So, anyway, they say that you should sing happy birthday twice to adequately wash your hands. And in this toilet of this church was a hand-washing diagram that shows you all the places, how to get in between your fingers and all that sort of stuff. And underneath it were the lyrics, is it lyrics, to the Lord's Prayer. 
which made me laugh. So I had a poo in those toilets, and then I stood there washing my hands, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'd forgot those words, even though I used to know them when I was at school, but I haven't said them in quite a long time now. So I've got a lot more notes and things to talk about, but uh, we've done half an hour. I'm going to interview Alex. That'll probably be half an hour, and then I'll do the rest of the stuff afterwards. So you get a good long podcast today, I think. Well, you already know how long it is, because... You're listening to it after I've finished it. Do you want to say anything, Sarah James? No. I was just telling everyone about... I want to say have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, that's nice. There you go. I was just telling everyone how you've been recovering from your side effects and that now you're basically okay. Basically. But that you still get nausea on a night. Yes. How does that feel? What kind of nausea? <laughs> Feeling sick. What other kind is that? But is it dizziness? Is it in the head, the stomach, well, that the would chest? Be dizziness. So where is it? Feeling sick is nausea. In the stomach. Why else do you feel sick? I don't know. I don't really get ill. Oh well, aren't you wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, the friends. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. All ten that listen. <laughs> There's more than ten. There's at least eleven. Well, that's me, though. I'm not going to say Merry Christmas to myself. Fair enough. Now, there's quite a few. You know what you are? You're a Scrooge. I, I Come on. I'm wearing a Christmas jumper. I'm, I'm, I'm the least Scrooge person in the world. I love Christmas. I forced everyone at work yesterday to wear Christmas jumpers and on Saturday to have Sparkly Saturday. And they were all kicking off. And I was like, come on, guys. <laughs> and I made them all wear sequins on Saturday. Sequence for Saturdays. Yeah, sparkly do, Saturday we had. You're going to do it next Saturday. Christmas Eve, isn't it? Uh, no, I'm making them wear the Christmas jumper again. <laughs> Only because I own about five, so I'm trying to wear them as much as I can. You're Scrooge. I'm Bob Cratchit. Joshua's Tiny Tim. He's not. That's the situation <laughs> that we're going to... not that tiny at the minute. No, Christmas is a, a tough month. a little bit tubby. Christmas is a tough month, isn't it, for snacks? <clears throat> we're all a bit tubby. I'm very tubby. I'm not tubby. Well, you're not. Yourself? You're not tubby. I'm Toby. Let's just end this right now. Oh, she's... Everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, come on, I've got to get to work. I'm finishing a thought. That's a Paul Allen. I don't even think he listens, but Paul does that. Paul Allen? Paul at work, when he wants something doing. Oh. He'll go, right guys, so we get the boxes or whatever? He always claps. I didn't know that was Paul's second name. Allen, yeah. Um, yeah, Sarah is going to be... She's been a bit moody there. But three days from now, she'll be hanging out the window, sending someone at the local market to buy a turkey for everyone, won't you? Scrooge. McSarah Scrooge. Scrooge. Why did I say Muck, McDuck, Scrooge McDuck? Muppet. Why are you still talking? Oh, my God. She always comes on and ruins the mood, doesn't she, friends? Well, I don't want to be on it anyway. She hates being on it. Are we going now? Yeah. Oh. Say bye to the friends. Bye, the friends. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Ooh. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. But we'll probably talk to you before New Year. I'll be back in a bit, friends. Hey friends, so I'm back. Last time I spoke to you, I was in the car with Sarah. Sarah is now at work. Joshua is at his grandparents and I am sitting in the kitchen of world-renowned magician, Mr. Alex Wells. Welcome, Alex Wells. I should say Alexander, shouldn't I? Yeah, you Welcome. should. Yeah, I yeah, call you Alexander. Alexander Wells. Uh, we are in Halifax in 
so let me tell you about my experience with Alex. He's very similar aesthetic-wise to me in that, you know, we sort of wear tweed suits and we're anachronistic and our acts kind of belong in a bit of a bygone era. era. But I've arrived at Alex's house and it is a um, sort of townhouse-style building on a very cobbled-style stone-coloured <laughs> street. It just looks exactly like what I knew it was going to look like. You're definitely bigging it up. I'd, I'd call it a terrace, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say it's a, it's a townhouse. It's very, it's very picturesque and it looks exactly exactly like what I knew it was going to look like. And I met Alex's dog, uh, which is a, la- a Labrador. Yeah, she's a lab. Yeah, she's a lab yeah, dog Gladys. called Gladys. So, you know, that I think that tells you all you need to know about Alex. Uh, he's a fantastic magician. And I, I thought we'd have a little chat as I'm over here meeting him today for a catch-up. So, Alex, tell me about what initially piqued your interest in magic. Oh, God. Um, well, well, I was... I was probably, well, I was, I was a child, so I've been doing magic since, I don't know, I was about seven years old. I mean, saying I was doing it since then is a stretch, but, you know, I got a magic set and had to go and everyone had to go and show stuff that they'd done, uh, that they got for their birthday at school. Okay. So I learned diligently to do a trick with the thimble. It was, uh, it was sort of, you know, the thim- standard thimble vanish and uh, learned how to do that and went and did that in front of the school. Um, and, Do you remember uh, being nervous with that? No, I wasn't nervous. No, I, I, I think I was seven, so I don't think I, it was just, you know. I don't think I've been afflicted by nerves for year unless there's someone in the audience who's very important. Yeah. I yeah. feel almost nothing. Well, like Dexter, you know, would kill someone. And say, yeah. I feel like that. I go on stage, do a show, I feel almost nothing emotionally. I know that I enjoy it and I like the job, but I don't feel the heart palpitations on nerves. But when I was a kid, I remember auditioning for things. I'd be a wreck. Well... I, I did, yeah, yeah, when I was older, when I started, because when I did that, I didn't have any expectations or any pride in what I was doing. I would just, right. I just learned to do a trick and learned to do a magic trick. So I didn't have any self-image that could be pricked or, or damaged by doing badly. Um, but I think, you know, I, I got probably more into it when I was older, maybe about 11 or 12, Royal Road to Card Magic, and then started learning Top Cup and Egg Bag and things like that, and then presenting those things to Again, in school, like classes in school and doing stuff. Um, and I think, I think I probably first got nervous when I had to do it in front of a sort of a hundred, hundred or so people with some sort of a show that we were doing at school. And I was nervous then. I remember my hands shaking and going bright red. Were you known as like the magic kid? Yeah. People identify, even though you'd only done one or two things, it's very quickly attached. Yeah, it doesn't take long, really. And it's a bloody good way to um, learn to deal with, I think, you know, sort of, um, people are getting this close-up magic talk about dealing with people heckling you. Right, yeah. And when you've done it at sort of 12 or 13 at school, then people will immediately point anything out which is flawed to you straight away with no compunction. Then you learn how to deal with that quite quickly yeah. and, uh, and to get better. <laughs> so, so I guess it's a bit of that, really. A very specific kind of heckling at school. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a show where an audience member's told me that they've shagged my mom or something like that. It's <laughs> general banter at school. You obviously went to a different school. I did. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, they would, they would in no uncertain terms tell you exactly what had gone wrong. If, um, you, if there was something, if they could detect the method. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's quite a good way to start, isn't it, when you're a kid? Your parents might turn a blind eye, but your friends... Yeah, they just get bored very, very quickly, your parents. Yeah. <laughs> Showing the magic. And your friend, maybe people who are, they're more likely to shout out how they think it works, even if they're wrong. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. learn to close those doors a little bit yeah, on method as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, well, I think I was just more fascinated with the, the mechanics of things at that, that sort of age. 
really like watching. Um, I think it was, was it. It was like the TV show of Maverick, not the not the film, but like the TV show of Maverick. Maverick and there was a card card sharp and um, sort of cheating and gambling, those sorts of ideas. And I was fascinated by con men right. and people. I found a book on like long cons and short cons. And um, I was fascinated by that. I'm watching watching Paul Daniels and Simon Drake on television. I think Simon Drake was one person who had quite a big influence on me. With his yeah. secret cabaret show, you remember in the early well, that was a bit 90s. before. Like that was before I was really into it. Yeah. And so, so I remember Paul Daniels, and I always remember seeing him do the chop cup, and I remember seeing him do billiard balls, and I remember thinking that's what a magician looked like. Yeah. So, and Paul Daniels didn't really have a particular grace. But there was something about holding billiard balls up and doing sleight of hand magic with very singular objects that always appealed to me as in like easy to understand, clarity of effect, knowing what was happening, but also feeling very magical. And, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily correlate that with being a magician or wanting to be a magician. But now after the fact, I can go back and see that I remember those as being formative experiences. Yeah, well, there's that sort of iconic idea of what a magician is that sort of stereotype yeah. of a magician top hat and tails vibe and totally totally and i think what i think sort of growing up in the 80s and 90s and people like paul daniels being on tv there was there was that sort of glitzy 70s sort of sparkly jacket kind of thing which i yeah. found rather distasteful and um yeah and watching someone like simon drake present this um, Neo Gothic. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, looking back on it, it's even more than I realised at the time. There's like loads of industrial music and Sisters of Mercy and, yeah. and kind of that kind of music going on, and and it, you know, some of it's quite jarring now to watch it, but at the time, it was very bloody, and you know, there was there was there was blood and guts and like the sawing in half vertically yeah. up the body with no box on it, and just like like the Grand Guignol kind of thing, you know, the theatre of the grotesque, that sort of. Yeah. That sort of behaviour. And that had a sort of a punk rock aesthetic, which but I was quite into. he had definable manipulation skills as well and did card manipulation and candles. And... Absolutely, yeah. And he did, a, he did a routine with eggs. It was kind of a sort of a uh, reference to David Devant's egg trick, you know, yeah. just producing more and more eggs, I think. And I've seen was... it on the Secret Cabaret DVD that was re-released. I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was I wet myself when I realised that was available. And I could actually get it and see, see them all again. And there was stuff that I'd never seen on the original because I... I think I probably only watched the second series when, when I was a kid because it was on quite late at night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it was that iconic image of a magician which really interested me about him. And that's the sort of stuff I did later on, really. Um, and then which developed into the character that I've got now as this... I remember when, the, you know, um, David Blaine came around in, what, the late 90s, early 2000s and everyone was going, right, we're going to wear jeans and T-shirts and have tattoos and things. And I thought, well... That's all been done, and my idea of a magician was always this turn of the century character. I used to look yeah. history books all about magic. I remember getting Milbourne Christopher's Illustrated History of Magic when I was a kid, and I think that ro- romanticised idea in my mind of the sort of travelling magician, the sort of slightly ethereal character who comes to town and then goes away again, that yeah. almost like the circus folk kind that, of that's my, feel, that travelling thing. That, that was always my interest as well. David Blaine was kind of, it was just opposite, wasn't he? David yeah. Blaine was like a facilitator. And, and that show, I know it's been talked about a lot on, on other stuff, so it's not, it's not a new observation. But David Blaine was like 
he were the, it was always about the magician's personality and David Blaine's show was about the audience's personality yeah. and he just used magic to bring that out and they turned the camera on the reactions and nobody had really done that before. Yeah. But now he's gone the other way. Yeah. And his show is very much about what he's capable of, like beyond human expectation, okay. holding his breath and all those sorts of things. He's, he's like performance artist now. He's like a daredevil, isn't he? Daredevil, kind of a character, yeah. A human curiosity. So he is, he is almost like, going to come back to that sideshow performer. Yeah. Kind of a thing. But still a brilliant magician. A, a really good magician. Better than you ever saw on his TV show, actually. Because yeah. a, a lot of the TV show stuff w was actually very simple sleight of hand tricks. It was, wasn't it? Like yeah. card tricks, double lifts, and, you know, using gimmicks to vanish coins and things. Mm. There was nothing that was really technically very expert. No. But he's grown into that role. Yeah. A lot. And become yeah. a... Maybe he was always a brilliant magician and the stuff that worked on TV was quite simple. But technically, I think he's very good. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I mean, I've never been massively interested in Dave Rowan. Obviously, he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and the he definitely changed the way magic was seen by generations. Sort of cool afterwards. again when yeah. he came out. Because he definitely it, wasn't when I was growing up. It was very nerdy and geeky. and Yeah. I mean, it still is, as we know, amongst magicians. <laughs> but, like, but it sort of was never seen as being something that would have that sort of appeal to a younger audience that magic does now. And and now, you know, as you know, you know, when you're performing to younger people, it, it goes down really well. You know, yeah. like close-up magic for teenagers seems like something that you don't want to be doing. But actually, actually it ends up getting... It, they, they do, and they, they do love it, and it gets really well received. And I don't think that would have been the impression you would have got from watching Paul Daniels. Really. Well, Paul Daniels as well shifted as a figure because he was quite political and there's that famous thing that he said, you know, if Labour got into power, he would leave the country and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so I think people associated him with, he stopped being about being a magician and there was, a, there was the political opinions. And David Blaine, I think, reiterated the idea that you could enjoy magic without having to experience the personality of the performer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the opposite, wasn't it? Or the well, opinions of the performer. Well, he, he was a blank canvas, wasn't he, yeah. David Blaine, really? And, and Paul Daniels was... You know, if you think about television in the 80s where there were four channels and if you were on television every week, then you were a part of culture. A massive celebrity, yeah. yeah Viewing figures they can't dream of no, now. No, absolutely. And so he was a personality and and he had, yeah, and people ascribed all these uh, behaviours to, well, he, he, he exhibited the, the behaviours himself and, and became sort of a, well, I'm sure Alan Partridge owes quite a lot to someone yeah. like Paul Daniels, really. I mean, but having said all that, as a performer, having seen Paul Daniels' lecture on his DVD set, yeah. enormous respect for him. Oh, he's brilliant. And there's loads of, loads of things that, you know, that you've learned from him, what well, I've learned from him. Just those little things that you learn as a performer doing it all the time, those little things that don't seem important, that aren't anything to do with the trick, but just, you know, like his ways of using a microphone, yeah. things like that, which is absolute gold dust that kind of information when you're actually doing a show it's just you know all, all the little secrets and tips that you have are all about where to put a piece of gaffer tape in your case or something yeah. it's those it's those kind of things that are really quite useful you know so when did the idea that you could be a magician as a job present itself to you beyond school and learning magic when did you first think oh actually this can be a life well I uh, I did lots of things, sort of cabaret shows and things like that. Well, I say I, say I did cabaret shows. To start off with, I did, um, I'd go and perform weddings. Um, when I was a kid, I'd, you know, just do 
kids' parties and things like that when I was in the village where I grew up. But but later on... Um, They're sort of more accessible, aren't they? Close yeah. Magic and kids' parties are yeah. a more accessible way to perform. And, and that seemed... like I think Close Up Magic seemed like the career path that was available at that time as well. That seemed like, you know, everyone would tell you, oh, the stage is dead. No, there's no, there's no work yeah. in men's clubs anymore. You can't do stage magic now. But then I went and did a street forming workshop in 2009, I think. And I'd done a few cabaret shows before that. Um, a bit of amateur dramatics to get my feet on stage. And I did some street, and went out and did street forming, not with the intention of earning any money, but just with the intention of, learning to deal with bigger crowds, getting the hang of dealing with people in a different environment, projecting my voice, you know, get, getting a different kind of character and getting that character out there. And it was just a, a ready-made venue, just make a venue wherever you want, you know, find yeah. a good place and go and perform. Which essentially you can do with close-up magic. You, you make a venue for performing close-up magic when you get a deck of cards out. Absolutely. Even if you don't intend to perform, if you get a deck of cards out and you shuffle them, someone's going to say, oh, you're a magician. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. then you go, okay, and you show them a trick, but... For stage, it's like other people have to agree to create a space. Yeah. And with Closer Magic, you create the space immediately when you remove a prop. You do, you do. I think there's a certain dynamic that people fall into. No, not fall into, but there's a certain dynamic that sort of seems to be expected with performing in close-up. There's walking up to a table, there's having a few people standing around you, and it takes time to understand how to control that, that, environment properly which decent close-up performers can do um for me i was more interested in, in getting to grips with sort of 30 40 50 100 people yeah and get the hang of how that works and i think performing on the street gave me that understanding and then to be able to go and do that on a stage where you've got even more control of the environment is it, it seems, you know, certain elements seems a lot easier you know like people wouldn't necessarily walk off as, as easily yeah. as they would on the street uh, but it was really going and performing. Um, I think I was I was trying to I was trying to sort of get up a bunch of clients and and get work. It was going okay, but there was sort of a you know you know how am I going to make a living out of this completely? And then I got the opportunity to go and work at the House of Illusion, and that was where I really got the time to work on my act and just have that space to develop new material, really find the character, and and pay my dues basically. Yeah. In my mind, that was. There's a huge amount of performing time on stage there. Yeah. There's yeah. multiple shows a night in a venue where people have bought a ticket to come and watch yeah. a show. They're facing the right way. It's theatrical experience. It's kind of a perfect petri dish for yeah. growing a, a, an act and a personality. And, and other magicians around you as well, which I haven't really experienced before because magic's quite a solitary art. You, yeah. don't, you don't necessarily hang around other magicians very often. But with this, I was, I think there was sort of about sort of eight of us or something. You know, there were a bunch of us together and we'd hang out and we'd talk about magic, we'd watch magic, we'd work on stuff, we'd show each other routines, we'd fight for space on stage yeah. <laughs> in the show. It's like a competitive enthusiasm. It was very competitive, yeah, because, you know, if if, um, if you wanted more time on stage, then something else had to come out. Yeah. So you'd have to have something ready so that on that night where someone was ill or something like that, then you could go, well, I've got this ready, I've got 10 minutes, I've got five minutes, I've got two minutes. So when I, first, bang it in there. when I first met Alex, he was performing at the House of Illusion that we're talking about now. And I, I didn't know that that for you was like your first real solid 
Because mm-hmm. when, when I saw you in that show, because I went there to do a guest week, so Rodney, who's the boss of that place, he would occasionally book magicians from other places to come over and perform uh, and do little spots in the show as like a guest act, and he would give you some accommodation. It was a nice little thing to do, and it basically was a free holiday, you know, for <laughs> me and my wife and son. And, and even I, I was at a quite formative time then. The act that I was doing then was quite different to the one that I'm doing now. It showed flashes maybe of what I'm doing now, but it wasn't the same. But to me, when I watched that show, you were the star of that performance and you felt very fully formed to me. Mm. So how, how long had you been in that environment when I met you there? I think that was my second year okay. there. So. As short as that, though, I thought yeah. it must have been much longer. No, 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 no. So, we, so for the first year I was there, we were at the, I think it was the second House of Illusion venue. It was a smaller venue. Um, and then that year that you came, that was the first year we'd moved to the bigger venue. Mm. And... When I first got to the House of Illusion, I was given the job of being the compare, which was lovely. So I got a lot of time on stage where I wasn't necessarily having to do any magic and I was just getting time talking to the audience. And I, you know, I'd figured out how it worked. I would worked out on the sort of routines that would work on that stage. And it was a a bigger stage than the the first one we had. Yeah. Um, And and yeah, the, the venue really fitted with the ideas that I had. They were lovely big velvet curtains and it had that audience sitting at nightclub tables and yeah. so it really gelled with the idea of who my character was on stage and how he'd you know be able to work in that sort of environment um so yeah yeah it was i, I think yeah i've been there about a year and a half by the time you got there in that summer um i to me i felt like you must have been doing years of performing from like prior to that and then and that you'd been there for a long time or it's funny really because because there are sort of in that show, when I arrived to do that week, there were three main characters. And it, or my perception yeah. of it is that there were three main characters and everyone else was kind of supporting roles in a sense. And the three main characters were Rodney, who obviously is the boss and yeah. you know directed the thing. But Rodney's main performance thing was hypnosis, mind reading kind yeah. of vibe, which I was and remain entirely uninterested in. Yeah. I can see why audiences like it, but I, I, uh, there's nothing in it for me. I like magic that has a technical aspect to yeah. it. Yeah. Hypnosis and mind reading, a lot of the time is built, it's like sort of an empire built on sand in some sense in that it exists as long as everyone agrees that it exists, but there's not necessarily anything behind it that's technical there is it's a bit unfair to it because there's technical and there's experience and there's a lot of things required to create that theater of the mind essentially but but it but it never interested me and then there was glenn who was a sort of quote unquote comedy magician yeah and did what i would say are glenn's a really fun person to be in the presence of and he's a nice personality and he's a good magician but the material that he does is not necessarily artistically challenging for mm. the audience, mm. uh, but he's a great performer, and I would, and I would pay to watch him. Fits any day that away. environment as well. With and all he holiday yeah. yeah, if you're on holiday and you go, you're gonna, you're never gonna be disappointed when you watch Glenn. He's a brilliant magician. He's a really nice guy. What I liked about your stuff was that it was, it just aimed high for me. It was like it was a little bit beyond what I would have expected, mm. and. You just you were doing loads of things that were really interesting creatively and sort of um were you doing the bubble thing at the time? I was doing yeah, I was doing the bubbles that year. So that was a that was a it was essentially a manipulation routine with mime in it. And, yeah. And the idea was about it, it was kind of a combination of a billiard ball routine and it started off with a bubble which transformed into an acrylic ball and then that changed into 
And it went in the case and the case. Yeah, and there was so the case that it was a floating sort of so so the yeah, they went into the bag and the bag stuck in space and ball stuck in space and so it sort of incorporated that mime thing to it. So that was the idea behind that was gonna be not just changing say the colour of a ball, but changing the weight of a ball. So changing the weight of an object and the, the, the nature of it in space. Yeah. Rather than you know, because if you take a bubble and then change that for an acrylic ball, essentially that's a color change. But you're taking something which is very light and making it solid yeah. and heavy at the same time. So you're changing things that aren't immediately apparent, which I think is more interesting. Which was you know comes from watching David Bowie and the Labyrinth as a child. Really. No, of course, <laughs> Some yeah. of those. Michael Motion with yeah, the... Michael Motion. But um, you you also had stuff that was like tricks that played with time travel premise yeah. and things that were. It was, your tricks sort of manipulated space and time and weight and expectation. And then you were kind of sort of it like non, like your character doesn't really have an age. No. So, no. so Alex has quite a thick beard and a twistable mustache, <laughs> but also, you know, is, would you say bald? Like, yeah, or, or, yeah, yeah. Definitely you know, bald, yeah. Bald, but with a little bit on the sides. And he's kind of got like a, like a young man's attitude in a very anachronistically unidentifiably un- aged persona yeah. sort of like a Doctor Who character but a bit but not like it's just I'll take that yeah no I'm, well, I'm, well, well so like okay. you've lived in every era you embody all of brilliant. it like time brilliant. with you it's brilliant I just found it really compelling and interesting and I feel like the audience were having a great time but when you came on they were having a great time and saying this is something different now yeah, well, that, thank you. That's really nice. Uh, that's really great to hear. I mean, so, so may, I maybe hadn't been performing on stage for that long, but I've been working on the ideas for a long time. Right. So I studied art when I was at university. I went to art school and I was always thinking about these sorts of concepts and ideas and I was doing them in various ways. I was doing performance art and video art when, well, when I was in my early 20s. And then I, magic was the way that I expressed it later on. Although, you know, it was mostly part-time and sort of doing bits and pieces in cabaret, but I spent a lot of time working on ideas. And then it took a little bit of time for my performance on stage abilities to catch up with those concepts, possibly. So the concepts were already there, I think, and being able to develop those performance, that performance experience necessary to make sense of it and to actually communicate it to people. Um, But I always had the idea when performing on stage that, it doesn't matter what the audience is expecting. It's, you know, it's better if you can give them something more than what they are yeah. expecting out of a situation, really. And every, every time, that, that year, when we had that theatre for the first time, I would go home um, over the winter and, you know, the spring beforehand and thinking, right, the toolbox I've got to create for this coming season is that entire theatre and we can work with anything which is in that, yeah. you know, and that's what we can present to people. And so, you know, you've got a lot of a lot of leeway. You're not rocking up at a place every night with your trunk or your case and setting up on a stage that you don't know. Yeah, you've you can you can use everything around you. So you mean that you 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 can control the space that the guests are in, yeah. but you can also utilize the fact that you can talk to them before the show. Yeah. You know the technician. Yeah. Things can be physically embedded into the venue. Yeah, they can be. I probably didn't take as much advantage of that as I could have done, but there were lots of ideas that didn't end up going on stage. Yeah. Um, just because of, you know, time and, and being over ambitious. You know, you can be with some ideas. Uh, 
but but that familiarity with the space as well is worth an awful lot and having an entire lighting rig you know being able to understand production yeah. and play with that we had a video wall there as well which we used for various things and and just understanding that it's not just what happens in the space immediately around you as a performer it's that whole frame it's yeah. that whole environment that you're manipulating and, and you also you have to be a, a sort of condiment as well don't you because you're not the whole meal no and you you what you do has to complement what other performers yeah. are doing before and after you and fit into that situation that's a challenge as yeah, well absolutely i mean that's really enjoyable you don't get that chance to do that as much with other magicians you know working with other people yeah. you know if, if people who work in you know do a play or something like that the feeling of being part of a crew is fantastic you know and having other people to be able to do things backstage for you yeah. and not having to you know not having to go and fetch everything yourself and having things in the right place at the right time on a stage I mean later on you know I've worked with my wife as an assistant and been able to get her to just make everything work smoothly just yeah. the running of that, that logistical thing because however much you think about it there is a logistical element to making things flow properly yeah, I really enjoy when you're hosting. For me, the, the main time I work with other magicians as a host, yeah. I really enjoy going on knowing that I'm only doing eight minutes yeah. and I only have to have the props in my pocket for those eight minutes. Like yeah. The logistical challenges when you have to do 45 minutes without leaving the yeah. stage yeah. Yeah. and you need the same pocket for two tricks. Yeah. How do you get that thing out and this thing in without... Yeah. It's all sorts of challenges. Yeah. When you're in that kind of... Um, almost magazine show yeah. where you can just go on and do that. It makes it a lot of fun as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, it took me, so for instance, the, the bubble routine, it took me a long while to realise how I could do that as part of a 40-minute show. Right. It was fine doing, I think, at the House of Illusion, I'd do it to maybe open the second part of the show at one point, I think I did it. So it was, you know, I'd be set up behind a curtain, the curtains would open, and then I'd do that routine, then right. the curtains would close. And... It's a manipulation routine, essentially. So your pockets are full, you've got holders and things like that, which only need to be there for that point. And I had a particular suit for that act. Yeah. And it was like, um, I think it was an eight-minute routine or something, seven or eight-minute routine. And to be able to do that in a 45-minute show is completely different. Yeah. Unless you want to open with it. But opening with it's not necessarily the place to do it. Joe is back now. Hello. Alex's Hello. wife with Gladys. God, it was well to be up, man. Gosh, I'm going to take a pause. <laughs> okay, we're continuing. Hello again, friends. We are now just in the presence of Gladys, Alex's Labrador. So, Alex, you were at House Illusion. We talked about uh, the shows and what you were capable of doing there and all that sort of stuff. Let's come to where we are now in the story. What, what prompted you to leave House Illusion and, and end that being at that? How long were you there, first of all? I, well, I was there for three years. Okay, so uh, what made you decide to come home? I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to be able to do different things. Cause, so, so, so we talked about... The, the show being, it was, it was a, as you say, it was like a magazine show. Did you live in Spain in between the seasons? For one of back? the years. I did. Was it two of the years? I don't know. I, I, I came home after the first year and then I stayed in between the second and third year. So, yeah, right. I lived, lived there for that time. And we, you know, we, got, we met some friends who, Joe, my wife, organised a um, uh, sort of a meet-up so we could learn Spanish. And we met some friends there and we stayed in their, uh, in their apartment. They went to us while they went off to Mexico. So we stayed there for that time. But I think we decided to... I wanted to be able to do things that were... that I couldn't do in the House of Illusion show because we all had defined roles. So yeah. my role was being the compare and doing my kinds of routines. But 
even as far as effects go in magic, if one person was, for instance, doing an, an object to impossible location, then no one else could do an object to impossible location unless it was so drastically different that it wasn't recognisable. Yeah. Um, so the, if you had certain ideas along those lines, like there was a piece that I do now where I send something, I bring something on at the start of the show and then I send, that somebody chooses something and I send that thing back in time to the beginning of the show. Got you. And it's still in the play, yeah. So that kind, that kind of thing. So there's, there's ideas that I had that I couldn't do there and I wanted to be able to perform in different kinds of venues as well. And also... So creatively, when, when you're all, as we said before, being a condiment, when you're serving a greater need... Yeah. And then you want to do something, but that need is already being served. Yeah. And it can't be in, you know, too many tomatoes in the dish. You yeah. can't do the same yeah, thing. Exa- exactly, exactly. I mean, even as far as, like, you know, you talk about mentalism. I'd had ideas about doing mentalism years back and thought it was something that fitted into my character. I mean, somebody goes, oh, you can't do magic and mentalism at the same time, which is rubbish. I would agree. You know, I, I do both now. It, yeah. And it has such a uh, powerful impact on people. And if it's part of that persona and with this sort of mythological sort of um, idea of a magician, you know, if that person should be able to do those yeah. sorts of things. And at the House of Illusion, you know, there was only one mentalist. It would either be Rodney um, or it would be Chris if Rodney yeah. wasn't in the show that night. Um, so there are ideas like that. But also living in, living in Spain, it was a certain kind of life and you're in a, a resort and there's lots of people coming on holiday every year. Yeah. And, that you know, that's you're it's not like living in a theme park. It, it, it is literally. Like, I remember going to Las Vegas, visiting Las Vegas, and this it seemed very familiar. Yeah, it just the you know, the, the eventually the smell of popcorn and candy the, floss starts to the, get up the, your nose a bit. The sticky carpets and yeah, <laughs> and the sort of sort of the mix of alcohol and cigarette smoke um starts to get on your nerves a little bit. And you know, we, we had a house back at home that we were renting out, and you know, we weren't really saving for our retirement in that environment. So you feel like you're living, but you're also living on pause. Yes. Because you're aware yeah. that what you're doing exists, but not necessarily in the context of the real world. Yeah. It's not permanent. It doesn't feel, yeah. uh, doesn't feel permanent. And, and I've gone out there with the intention of... You, you do, always know do, that when you leave, you're starting again. Yes. So yeah. at what point do we wait until yeah. we start again? You're, you're, you're out of, you're out of the, the circulation, you know, you're, you're, out of, you're out of the world of... of of magic, of entertainment, of of getting gigs yeah. in your home country. Um, it was really good though for meeting other magicians. Like there was there was you who came over. There were other magicians. Oliver Tabor came over. Um, still good friends with him and other magicians who came came along. People came to um, as a person who isn't close up magic isn't my main passion. Yeah. When lecturers come over, you know, when you'd meet lecturers. Um, they wouldn't necessarily, you know, I'm not someone who would sort of sit there and jam late at night with other close-up magicians. Yeah. However, when Electra came over, like we had Tom Stone come over and see the show, and then they've seen your show, and then they do a lecture that night, and then they'll get talking to you because they've already seen your show, so they've seen what you can do, which is really nice. Yeah. To be able to talk to people and um, know who you are and understand what it is that you do and what you're about. So it's really good for that and be able to meet other magicians. It's nice if you're good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I was thinking about well, that's exactly how we met, and I, like I was really interested to talk to you because I watched you and yeah. was enamoured by your performance. Yeah. And so when you're 
opening a conversation with someone from a place of we like what we both do yeah that's exactly. the beginning of a good thing yeah but if you're yeah. in that position where lecturers are coming over and they see you perform and you're terrible <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. not going to spark any relationship no you're not no absolutely you're not no so that was that was really nice to be able to to be able to see people who um you know some people have inspired some of the work that you do and and be able to meet them and, and sit down afterwards and go out for a drink and eat tapas with them and things like that you know and have a yeah. conversation compare notebooks <laughs> that sort of that sort of thing have constructive conversations with them about about magic and life it was really good um, but yeah I, I think after after that we, we came back to the UK and um, I set up a uh, just a, a magic night in Manchester for a year or two just I did it which you did it you, I think you did it a couple of times Fitzgerald's yeah Fitzgerald's which was a sort of a speakeasy kind of a cocktail bar the first sort of time I ever did um, the giraffe trip oh yeah was it was nice? wasn't it yeah. yeah i remember you showing me that it was really good it yeah and that was the idea of that was rather than having a, multiple performers on a cabaret night it was just it was just me and then one other person yeah each time and it would always be a, a magician um which again was you know a, a way of meeting up with friends and um and showing people something a bit different and people you know that people might not, not ordinarily see um, and it was and it was easier doing it that way as well, rather than having performer after performer after performer. It's too much to organise, you know. Just putting up one person, you know, as yeah. a magician, and, and doing a show is much easier. And when you know what they can do as well, it's it's loads easier. Um, I really enjoyed doing that. That was, I mean, that was just for for fun, really. It was a place to sort of still be able to work on stuff yeah. when I got home. Um, and and then I think I started working on ships. I started doing some stuff on ferries and got a couple of cruises, things like that. And that was I really enjoyed that again in that it was working day after day after day, doing shows every night, and not just doing. Well, there's a creative know, challenge in that as well. Yeah, because the ships I did them too, and they were for often non-English speaking crowds or yeah. unusual shaped rooms or. The, yeah, yeah, you've got you've got those difficulties to overcome. I mean, I think. I did uh, the majority of the work I did was on Brittany ferries, yeah. and they had there were two ships that I worked on there. One of them was the one that went over to Pontevedra. Well, yeah, there was Pontevedra, which Santander went which went a bit further. Yeah, went to Santander, Dublin, Le Havre. Yeah, yeah, well, went, to, went to Cork. That, no, there was another one that went over to Saint Malo. Um, that was the Britannia, which was an older ship. Um, I hated it on them. Yeah, I did those years ago, and I hated it. I. I didn't. I didn't mind it. I I, I enjoyed it um, for the. Um, I, I quite enjoyed being on the ship. I quite enjoyed that. It was quite good fun. It was sort of. It felt a bit. It's a bit like being in Red Dwarf. Right, I would yeah. say that there's that sort of aesthetic, especially when the, the kinds of cabins you get given when you're when you're yeah. on it all the time. They're not um, the. Um, they're not the nice ones that you get on cruises and things. Um, but I, I don't even I like them. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm going on a cruise ship tomorrow and I'm not looking forward to it. I don't even like the, no. the sort of supposedly luxury ship experience. No, I do know what you mean. I mean, I must say, after doing that for a few years, though, I, I, you know, I don't intend to be doing that much in the future. I, I wouldn't want to keep doing it because you are away from home a lot. Yeah. Um, it, um, it is fun for a while, though, and I'm glad I did it. Been out in some really good storms and things. And yeah. um, and I've developed, what was it? There was a, a routine I did, a kind of a mind-reading routine. And I ended up doing it where they would be holding onto my shoulder to get the, you know, to get yeah. the, to read them. But the real reason for them holding onto my shoulder was so that they didn't fall over when the sea was, when the ship was rocking. <laughs> so there's a little practical considerations. But 
and and like you say, working with people who, you know, there was a lot of people who were English speaking audiences, but then you would sometimes get French speaking audiences, you get Spanish speaking audiences, you get people from other parts of the world who didn't speak any common languages with you at all. Yeah. So you'd have a variety, uh, especially when you're going around doing little bits of close up and things. And I, I yeah, I was talking about this with you earlier, like, you know, doing close up on the ships when they don't really need you to do close up. You're there to do the stage show. Yeah. Um, and the close up is a thing they kind of, you know, they, they kind of want you to do. And because it was so low pressure, you could work on stuff. You could get, you could, you could put routines in that you wouldn't have done in a corporate gig when you were being paid a lot of money to be there. And you would just try things out with people and you would just, it, it was slightly more informal. So it yeah. was more, a bit more playful, you know, and there's that whole, you know, creative play kind of a thing and doing it in front, in an environment where you're comfortable, where you are every day and being able to work with these audiences. What I find fascinating about you, Alex, is that it seems to me that every decision you've made always in your time as a magician, because even now you are doing different things in life as well as performing in mm, other, yeah. you know, other employments and various things to fill your time and earn a living, but you never have necessarily for me I have to perform like I can't the idea of doing something else so in any sense I need to perform in some way and and that in order to do that involves not selling out but a certain amount of you can't do exactly what you want to do all of the time. Mm, yeah. You can do a, You can find ways to fit as much of who you want to be and what you want to do into the work that you're being offered, yeah. but you can't just do exactly what you want to do all the time. No. And so you do have to maybe give up a little bit of room on exactly the theme or style or creativity that you want to impose. Yeah. But for you, you're much happier to do something else and to be led by... You know, you'll put on a show locally and mm. sell tickets yeah. and perform less to be able to perform the exact way that you want to. Yeah. You'll put on your own things in your own venues. You'll go and live in Spain in a purpose-built magic theatre. You will street perform. You'll do... You'll come home from Spain because your creativity was no longer being served because mm. other people's needs were trampling on your ability to express everything that you wanted to. So all of your decisions are based on chasing creativity and you're sort of uncompromised in that and I like that that everything you ever do is always based on what it's what you feel it's meant to look like yeah 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 no I think I think there's this there's this platonic ideal in my head of what it should look like yeah and it's trying it's about trying to get closer and closer to that and also I mean with life in general it's about priorities it's about reassessing what you really want and sometimes we can end up doing something because we thought we wanted it um and chasing me me is sometimes habitual as opposed to enjoyed i i think you've always got to be reflective and work out what it is that you enjoy about it i love performing on stage i also love coming up with ideas and developing those ideas and making them make sense and and really like you know like I have found some of the some of the shows I've enjoyed the most have been with the audiences because it is a collaborative yeah. experience. It's been with the audiences who really want to be there, and some of that sometimes those shows that yeah, because I perform for a lot of audiences who don't want to be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and those are the ones you get paid. Those are the ones you get multiple contracts for. You know, when you're you're getting weeks and weeks and weeks of contracts. Yeah, and those shows and working on the ships sometimes you get audiences who well they're just on a ship they're just yeah. going somewhere. And they're, they're, Gladys is uh, 
poking in at the moment, aren't you, Gladys? Hello, yeah. Gladys. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't say actually the audiences don't want to be there, but what it is is that no, it, the is audiences it, who see you, they know they're going to a magic show. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a lot of the ones that I perform for, they're just in an entertainment venue and, oh, there's a magic show on. Exactly. So you're having to win them around in that way. So it's a lot like street performing in many ways. And there's that, that's that thing of making them into an audience, which, you know, it's street a good lesson. performing is a different creative challenge. It is. It is. I think there are lessons you can learn from street performing or lessons that I've learned from street performing that help in that environment yeah. in bringing them into an audience. Um, and there's certainly challenges that I experienced when I started working on the ferries um, to actually get the best out of those audiences. And, and then that became part of the challenge then, was making those people into the best possible audiences they could be. Yeah. Um, but, but it's like, you, for me, I, I look at that as a logistical challenge. When I did those ferries, I looked at these as, this, this room is not great for a magic show. This audience don't really want to see a magic show. So I don't really care about, get, maybe I was a bit defeatist, but you've yeah. reframed it as a creative challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, def definitely. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sort of face the idea of not being able to engage. You know, I, I, you know, ultimately, that, that's if I can't engage them, that's failing in me as a performer. Yeah. Um, and I need to be able to understand what's necessary to get the best out of those people. And it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but that doesn't mean I can't make a go of it. And it's taught me lessons as a performer that have stood me in good stead in other situations later on. You know, and they're all useful skills. But... I would say I have enjoyed most performing for the audiences that do really want to be there. You know, yeah. those fun cabaret shows that, you know, where it's in the, the back room of a pub or something. That'll be someone asking to move the car. Possibly. <laughs> well, I think that's as good a place to finish as any. Um, Alex, I'm thrilled that I've seen you today and also that you let me interview you a little bit for the podcast. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. Can well. anyone check you out anywhere? Yep, if you... Um, probably the best place to get hold of me is uh, by emailing me at the moment, uh, alexanderwellsmagic at gmail.com. Um, I seem to have not needed my website for quite a long time, so that's all good. There you go. Here we go. Send Alex an email. Say hello. Send nudes. Right. <laughs> Friends, I'll finish the rest of this in a little bit. Bye, everyone. The friends, it's Mark James, and I'm back with Sarah James. She's running. I'm chasing her. Come back, the dog's chasing. <laughs> Doc, you can be on it as well if no. you want. Say hello, Sarah James. Hello, Sarah James. <laughs> oh, tell everyone what's happening. Be honest. You're freaking out because you're going away. Mm -hmm. That's it. What else? You're packing because you're going away. Am I in a good mood? No. Why am I not in a good mood? Because you don't want to go. Right. Fuck this fucking shit. So, Alexa, bathroom lights off. So here's what's happening, friends. I'm back home now. The time is quarter to nine at night. You've sort of been with me all day today, haven't you? We've been in and out. We've done bits. We've come back home and we've been to see Alex and had a chat with him. Oh, gosh. So I've just packed everything. I've got my camera, so I'm going to try and vlog a little bit. I'm going to try and record the show. Obviously, I haven't lost weight like I really wanted to, so I don't feel amazing about my suit, my casual clothes, any of the stuff that I've basically got to wear on this shindig abroad. None of it makes me feel really good. And I don't love going away, do I? It's not my favourite thing. I do not enjoy going on ships or really going away from home abroad. It's not as fun as 
a lot of people really like it, don't they? It's a sort of, it's a seemingly glamorous life. It's just not one that I particularly enjoy. I'd rather just be at home. But you know what? That, it is what it is. And it's not a bad gig and it'll be fun and I'll probably get some work done. I'm going to try and write some chapters for my book. And if nothing else, when I do the Boxing Day episode, and it will, won't it? God, it'll be Boxing Day episode. When I record the next episode of this podcast on Boxing Day, God, Merry Christmas to you all coming up. I'll have been places. I'll have been to Spain. Well, I'll have been to the Canary Islands. I'll have been to Tenerife. I'll have been to Lanzarote. I'll have been around. I might have stories to tell and funny things to let you in on. I've got stories that I haven't managed to fit into this week, but this episode is going to be too long. So I do have stuff to talk about and things to say that I'll say next week as well. And we'll cram them in the Boxing Day episode and we'll get Joshua on as well, as well as Sarah. Here she is again. Hey, Sarah James. I'm not here. You are here. Say hello to everyone. <laughs> I'm going to finish now anyway. So anyway, that was this week's episode. Um, I've got to just do stuff and I have to relax and sit. And I'm drinking Buffalo Trace, which is a, a bourbon, bourbon whiskey with Sarah and drinking a Diet Coke with it. I've got to be up at 5 a.m. to get dressed and drive to the airport and then do the thing, do the gig. And it'll all be well. It will all be well. It'll be great. Doc's making me nervous. He's on the edge of the couch. My MacBook is on the edge of the couch. Oi, get down. <laughs> so, what do you care about more? What? The dog or your MacBook? The MacBook. Because if the dog falls off the couch, then nothing will happen. Oh. If the MacBook falls off the couch, something might happen. Oh. The dog falling off the couch is risk-free. It's no distance for him. He loves falling off the couch. Which do I care about most? Obviously, the dog. He's a living being. 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 He's a bean. He's a bean. Are you a bean? Are you a bean? Oh, he's excited about being a bean. bean. He's beef. We're going to rename him Beef. Different name every year. Beef. He loves that look and he loves that name. Beef. Come here. Come on then, Beef. Oh, he's a good boy. Who's going to see if I can make him bark? (gasps) Who's that? Who's that? Who is this? Doc. Who's that? Who is this? Who is this? He's jumping. Who is this? Right. Who is that? That was me who barked then. Who is this? He's just running around in circles doing zoomies. Who is it? Who's that? There we go. It's got him to bark. Okay, wait. Sit. Good boy. Sorry. So uh, that was this week. I've been a bit all over the place today because it's been really, 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 really busy, of course. I've had loads of stuff to do. And um, I'm in a bit of an underlying mood because I've got to go away tomorrow. But when I get back, it I'll have hopefully written some chapters for the book. I'll have tried to relax. I'll have really got on the way with health goals because I find that a lot easier when I'm by myself to get started. I'll have maybe done some running in Spain and that'll be cathartic and nice and exciting and different. And I've never run there before. So I'll just run and run until I feel the first mile buzz. And then I will keep running until I get the half a mile and I'll turn around and run back. That'll be what I'll do in four different places potentially. So that'll feel quite good, I hope. And also, it'll be, it'll have been Christmas. But when I get back, it'll be the night before Christmas. It'll be the night before, it'll be Christmas Eve Eve. That was hard work, wasn't it? Sarah's looking at me as if to say, I've got to listen to this shit again tomorrow. Every time, sometimes you're hard work. Why? What's your problem? What are you saying about me? explain things? Yeah. Go on, expand. (laughs) Why don't you say that'll be Saturday? That'll be, that'll be this, the day before the Eve, the Eve, the Eve, the Eve. Just say what day it's going to be. Do you wish you'd never married me? 
<laughs> well, I can't wait to go away. You excited? Oh my god, I go three nights now without you and Joshua. Doc's going to be in the house. Have the best time ever. Joshua's at grandparents. I am away. It's just going to be Sarah and the dog curling up in bed together. I mean, I've got work every day. She's still got work, yeah. I'm going to have got a day off this day. I'm doing nine days straight. You're off on Christmas Day, aren't you? That's your next day off. God, wild. Oh well. I need to sneeze. She hates it when I sneeze. <coughs> so dramatic. Right, say bye to the friends. Bye, the friends. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. And a happy... No, I'll wish you that next week. I'll be better next week. I've got notes. Just tried something different with the interview. Let me know if you liked it. Send me a message if you enjoyed me interviewing someone. And if you'd like me to do that more often with people that I bump into. And I will, because I've met loads of interesting people that I can talk to and ask them different questions and interview them a bit and throw it onto the podcast. If you thought that bit was cool, let me know and I'll do it more often. But not me. But not Sarah, because she's too much of a wank. I'm a bitch. <laughs> right. Bye, friends. What? I'm waiting for you to say bye. I said bye, friends. Bye, the friends. They will. Say it. Bye, the friends. Bye, the friends.